that's what I kind of pride myself in because a lot of the a lot of the other people out there that are that are either training this or doing it are like, yeah, stick a buyer in a home, collect a deposit, and then don't care if they ever get financing. In fact, hope they default and we get to collect another down payment. But morally and ethically, we just we just can't do that. And it gives me a lot of satisfaction to know that we have these buyers that are getting their own loan. Not to say that it's easy every time because it is, it is, we try to make it easy for our buyers, but it is, it's a process. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Nick Prefontaine. Today, we're learning about a really powerful story. We're going to learn about an experience that Nick had, a life-threatening, life-changing, near-death experience that he went through and how he came out of that, how he hustled uh, once he had recovered and how he got to where he is today uh, with everything he's doing as a real estate investor. Very powerful. He exceeded expectations of the doctors, everything. We're going to get into that. You're going to learn about all that. It's uh, yeah, pretty amazing, especially for, for those of us who've never had that experience. Just wild to, to think about. So something to consider as you, as you listen to it. If you do enjoy the show, I ask that you take a quick second Go to your favorite podcast app, find the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button. That way you will get all of the newest episodes straight to your phone, mobile device, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you do enjoy the show and you are an Apple user, please take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, give us a rating and review, five stars if you don't mind. That really helps out a lot. It helps other people learn about the show. It helps our ranking in the search algorithms. And it's really, if you're looking to give anything back, that's all that I ask. Give me a rating on Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciate it. It helps other people learn about the show. And I love reading about what you guys have to say in your reviews. Much appreciated. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Loat. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Love learning from powerful stories. I love learning new real estate investing strategies, learning updates about real estate investing strategies and what's happened with them through market changes. And we talk about that today as well with Nick. So without any further ado, here we go with Nick Prefontaine. Nick, thank you for joining us today. I am happy to be here, Taylor. Happy to talk with you. You have a really cool interesting story background and experiences and everything it's, cool. it's also cool it's also cool it's also <laughs> cool cool i'll take interesting over cool i suppose i don't know okay. whatever your call but uh, why not you, why not both that's true that's true i like both of them for our listeners out there you mind uh you know introducing us telling a bit about your background and uh experiences yeah sure i'm happy to Back in, I usually start talking about uh, kind of my my background and my experiences back when I was growing up. I get to witness my parents uh, in real estate, in in the building, and then in the investment phase of the business. While that was all throughout my childhood, all growing up. Back in 2003, I was in eighth grade and I actually had, uh, that day, it was actually, today's the anniversary. Oh, wow. Uh, February, it was February 5th, 2003. Went on ski club with my, um, went to ski club with, with my class there and we got out a little early so we could get to the mountain. On the way to the mountain, I got all my stuff ready. Uh, my friends and I were some of the only 
kids to do this. We brought our stuff on the bus to get ready so not to miss a precious moment once we got to the mountain. So once we got to the mountain, we were all ready, buckled in, and headed straight for the top. On the way to the top, we noticed that it was very icy because it had been raining. People were wiping out everywhere. Needless to say, we got to the top, and I buckled in and headed straight for the biggest jump with all my speed. And going up to the jump, I caught the edge of my snowboard, which threw me off balance. And that was uh, that was actually the last thing that I remember. Wow. I was told, I was later told that I had landed on my head and that I wasn't wearing a helmet. They rushed me to the hospital. They tried to life flight me but with a helicopter, but because it was so windy, they couldn't do that. So they had to get paramedics up there. And I was very fortunate in more ways than one that day because... Only one or two out of the staff of the six paramedics, roughly, that that did that could intubate what's called right on the spot. And fortunately, one of those individuals was working that day. So I was able to be intubated right on the spot and rushed to the hospital. Once I got to the hospital, the doctors told my parents that I probably wasn't going to walk, talk, or eat again if I even did come out of the coma. And after a month of that, um, after a month of being, I was in the coma for three weeks, solid, but because it was a partially induced coma, I don't really remember a month of my life because I had to come off the drugs and everything like that. Once I was stabilized, I was transported to Franciscan Children's Hospital in Boston. And that's where I had to learn how to walk, talk, and eat again. And my goal from day one, as soon as I could communicate, uh, because when it started, when I when I started out, I wasn't able to. I didn't just wake up out of the coma and miraculously be able to talk and walk and everything. It definitely wasn't like that because it had been a month, basically, of being in a coma. I had to learn everything again. I had lost so much muscle and I had to learn everything all over again. And talking was one of those things. And that that took a while. So at first it was blinks, like with my eyes. Then it was like, as I regained strength, it was whispers. And then slowly started speaking. Then I got my voice back. And as soon as I could communicate, my goal was to run out of the hospital. So all my all my therapists and doctors knew that goal. And they all helped me help me to achieve it. So Less than three months after my accident, I believe the day was April 23rd of 2003, I ran out of Franciscan Children's Hospital. And after that, I had I got back home, and when I went back to school, the school said to me, oh, no, take your time, go through rehab and everything like that, and don't worry, you can just do eighth grade again next year. I didn't want to do that because that, that's just not who I was. Still to this day, that that's not who I am. I don't I don't like lie down like that. So I, I said, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna do eighth grade. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish. So even though I walked with my classmates at the graduation for eighth grade, I had to get tutored every day or five days a week all summer long in order to keep up with my class. And then I was able to go on and go into high school. Shortly after that, back when I was 16, after I got my license, I got my start into real estate. 
And now I had always seen my parents, as I previously mentioned, doing investments and they were doing house flips and condo flips, condo conversions and condo each floor. So I, I grew up around the real estate business. So I started getting my itch back when I was like 15 or 16. And I came to my dad, I said, how do I, how do I get involved? How do I get, how do I help? How do I, how do I get started? What's the, what's the first thing I could do? And that first book that turned me on to be like, started to get really interested in it was Cashflow Quadrant by uh, Robert Kawasaki. I'm sure a lot of uh, of your listeners can relate to that. But that got my wheel, that got my brain uh, spinning. One of the things that he said that he was starting to experiment, and at the time my cousin was doing it, he was the only one doing it, was knocking on pre-foreclosure doors or homeowners that have received a notice of default letter from the bank. Now, these homeowners were not in a, they weren't in a comfortable situation. Needless to say, they they have received the letter from the bank basically saying that you're defaulting on your loan and we're potentially going to be scheduling a an auction and you're going to lose the house and everything like that. So my 16-year-old brain, I thought, well, okay, because these notice of default letters were spread out. Like they would, there'd be one, there'd be one in one town and then a couple other up here, 15 or 20 minutes away. But I, what made sense to me is I'll go to the area where the highest concentration of these notice of default letters are, where they're landing. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Well, that, that equates to not the best areas to buy property in, not, not the best areas of cities, not, not even cities, but like not, not, not so good areas of cities. I would, I would go to the area where I could do the most amount of doors in a day. And oftentimes there would be five on a street. So it was, it was awesome to me. I got a ton of experience doing that. And, and I, I actually, I was given a list, like uh, here's a script that you say once they open the door. So I, when I first started out, I, I just say, okay, good. So tell me what to do. I'll go do it. So here's the, here's the list of the houses that I have to hit. I would map out my route the night before. Here's the script that you have to say. So basically I would run up to these doors and knock, knock, knock really quick. And they'd say, hi, uh, my name is Nick Prefontaine. I'm here to help you out of your unfortunate situation. Well, this wasn't, there was no like finesse or no like trying to understand their situation or approaching it softly. It was just like, hey, I'm here. I'm here to help you. What, you know, here's what we got to do. And I wasn't seeing a lot of success. I, I really wasn't at first. I, as I said, I, I get a lot of practice because all those doors were so close together. However, I wasn't seeing a lot of success. Shortly after that, my cousin Mike and I flew out to San Diego to shadow the number one person in the country for doing knocking on these NODs, the notice of default doors, pre-foreclosure doors at the time. His name was Colin. And once I saw Colin and how his approach was so different than mine, I was like a light bulb went off because 
when he did it, he would go up, go up the stair, go up the stoop to a, a nice friendly knock to, 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 like a, like a friend stopping by. So they would come to the door and be like, well, who's, who's there? Who's there? And then, um, I saw, I witnessed Colin do this. He would be like, well, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know if I'm in the right, I don't know if I'm in the right place. Could you confirm something in address information for me? He would show them the list that he was working off of, the, the notice of default list. And once they saw their name, they would light up. They would light up to him, not in a bad way, but they would they would be like, oh, my God, the freaking bank and this and that and, you know, those SOBs. But they would tell him what was going on and what they were doing. Or let's be serious. It was 2005, 2006, what they weren't doing at that time to fix it. And the bank still wasn't foreclosing. So these are homeowners that had missed, I don't know, one, two, three, I mean, even upwards of 10 to 12 payments on their loan, the bank still hadn't foreclosed. So they were, they weren't in the best situations. But once I saw, like, I saw the success Colin was having, I changed what I was doing. And when I got back to the East Coast, I implemented that and I started seeing a lot of success. I did it the rest of high school. And we actually, we actually ended up buying some property in, in that city, um, in those not so good areas. But, uh, we, we ended up with those properties with several of those properties. So that was, that was a great experience because that taught me basically you go and knock on someone's door, they open it. You have to say something compelling that that's, or else you're, you're just going to get the door slammed in your face, which, did happen once or twice, but that that's the best way to learn, really, I feel like. I'm sorry, you're going to say something. Well, I was going to say that's interesting in that, you know, his revolutionary, you know, process. It got them interested, but it also kind of got him on their side. It was more focused on understanding their situation and, you know, looking to really know where they're coming from and, you know, help them solve it. You're, I assume the the actual deal structures or the options were pretty much the same, but he was presenting them in a completely different manner to the folks that were in pre-foreclosure. Yeah, exactly. And when I did it, their their wall, I mean, everyone going through that, it's a very stressful time in their life. Their, their walls are up already. So when the 16-year-old kid comes and aggressively knocks on my door, what do you think is going to happen? That that's even that wall is even going to go up. It's not going to go down. But by disarming them and and being like, "Look, I'm I'm here to help. This is what we do. We help homeowners like you." It was able to get them to understand that we're really on their side and we weren't weren't out to get them or anything like that. So if you go a little bit further, I graduated high school and then started studying took a couple months off. I went in, uh, my dad told me he wanted me to uh, shadow a few of his people from his network that, that owned investment companies over the years that he knew of. So I did that. And then um, come the fall, I started my licensing course to get my real estate license. I was a realtor for really full time, successful realtor for about six years. And then after six, because I got my license in March of 2008, I know settle down that that was a fantastic time to get your real estate license. Yeah, perfect. 
<laughs> but I was able to, that was all I knew as a realtor. So all these, all these other realtors, you know, complaining and I have nothing against realtors. I'm just saying all these other people, because all they knew was the hot market were complaining. Oh my God, it's not how it used to be. And I was like, what do you mean? Not how it used to be. This is how it, it, it's always been. Cause, Cause I didn't know, I didn't know anything else. So I was able to, I was able to survive during that time. And I was, I was pretty, I was pretty proud of the fact that I was able to support myself. I moved out of uh, my parents' home in two, that 2011. I was, I was proud of the fact that I could, you know, support myself and be independent at that young age. So that led me to my dad coming to me when he started doing the investment properties back in 2013, end of 13 and 14 saying, geez, Nick, I could really use your help with, with marketing these properties. And it was so funny, even to this day, Taylor, I say, how I responded to him was, no, 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 I'm all set. I'm, I'm doing well with my own thing, being a realtor and, and no, I'm good. I'm just going to keep doing this. Thankfully, he asked me more than once, uh, <laughs> because <laughs> the marketing turned into working with the buyers, turned into really being a, a specialist with the buyers and the, the whole process. You have to take a buyer from start to finish in order to maximize their chances of success and everything. And what I'm doing today, which is um, still doing doing the properties and working with the buyers of ours, but also it's helping our associates over the over the country that are that we're partnering with in essence to do the same thing. Nice, nice. So I wanted to, you know, learn a bit about what the the current strategy is that you guys are pursuing and how COVID has impacted it. We've had your dad on the show in the past to to talk about the strategy a little bit, as well as uh, Zach, one of your one of your business partners. And just want to get an update and see how things are are going now. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking that. It's like it's actually with currently right now. It's it's like with COVID, if anything. So it's tight. It's no secret. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's no secret that. Ah, the coronavirus and COVID is tightening lender guidelines, excuse me, lender guidelines, and it's making it more difficult for people to get their own loans. Well, add that in to people that have already had a, already had a difficult time. Like there were buyers before COVID who had trouble getting a loan, and those are the ones who we would help uh, because there's only roughly, and this is before COVID, there was only roughly uh, 18% of the market that can walk into a bank and get a loan. So it's a bigger pool of buyers, the other 80% call in that can walk into a bank and get a loan. And then with COVID, it's only made things harder for buyers to get a loan. But we're, we're still seeing that happen because there's actually more opportunities for us to purchase properties on terms. So we, we buy either with a, a rent-to-own agreement, owner financing, we'll buy it subject to the existing financing. There's a number of different ways that we'll buy property. And I'm sure that my dad and Zach, who's my brother-in-law as well, I'm sure they've covered the ways with you and with your listeners how we purchase property. But then however we're doing that, however we're buying property, there's a number of different ways. We're always selling it through our rent-to-own program. And that's really where that's really where I come in and what I specialize in is working with buyers each step of the way 
uh, so that they are able to get their own loan come the end of it. And kind of a kind of a proof of concept, a, a great thing for anyone here. And what really gets me excited is that we're starting to get loans for people who did deals with us one, two or three years ago. They're starting to get their own loans and it's anywhere from one to two a month. And it's, it's really amazing. That's, that's what I, that's what, you know, that's what I kind of pride myself in because a lot of the, a lot of the other people out there that are, that are either training this or doing it are like, yeah, stick a buyer in a home, collect a deposit, and then don't care if they ever get financing. In fact, hope they default and we get to collect another down payment. But morally and ethically, we just, we just can't do that. And it gives me a lot of satisfaction to know that we have these buyers that are getting their own loan. Not to say that it's easy every time because it is, it is, we try to make it easy for our buyers, but it is, it's a process. It usually takes anywhere from one to three years. And that's for a reason because we're turning, we're turning tenants, renters into, into homeowners. So it, it takes a lot of work, but uh, it's it's very gratifying to do that. I agree. You do see pretty frequently in, in that industry and in, and in others that mentality of, hey, you slap them in there and then it's, you know, it's their problem until they default. And if they default, then it's good for us and we just take it back and kick them out. And then, you know, we, we rinse and repeat. And yeah, the it, it does have a lot of moral and ethical issues with it. And it's good you guys are yeah. being careful about that. I, yeah, I appreciate you saying, I appreciate you saying that. I think it's on our, on our end, it's more, it's more of being careful, like towing that line of like what's right and what's wrong kind of thing. It's more than that. It, it's that we actually want to see buyers succeed and we want to see them get to the finish line and it requires a lot of work on all of our parts, really. But I mean, really after, after we accept the buyer and they put a down payment and everything, even though they're responsible for all maintenance, repair, and upkeep and everything, it's still a lot of work on our part to make sure that they will be able to be mortgage ready at the end. It's a lot of management like all the way through. And I think we're, we're doing that and we're imparting that to our associates who are also doing the same thing. Nice. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Nick, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Ooh, all right. I want to take you back to that time when I was uh, like 14, 15, 16 timeframe. I, I actually had a, during that time, I had a car washing business where I had a motor scooter. I would go around to all the neighbors or at, at several clients in the neighborhood and I I would have my bucket and all my supplies and everything. And I would go around and watch their car and charge them money for that. Whenever I remember every week I came back to my dad, I, I said, here, put this, you know, put this down towards my, my investments or my savings or whatever we were doing at the time. And he said, all right, well, how about this? I'll make a deal with you. Any, any bit that you, that you save out of this, I'll match. And then we can, we can potentially buy an investment with it. So I was like, I came back every week and I'd be like, all right, just do the whole thing, do the whole thing. And I did that every week until we got to a point that 
I had a nice chunk there. I had like seven to ten thousand. Nice. And my dad and I were like, all right, let's let's look for a property. We found a we found a two unit commercial property that that we still own in uh, Northern Rhode Island. And I say that that was the best investment because I'll tell you what happened. This was this was really interesting. So we had it on the market. We had it on the market through our rent-to-own program. Uh, we are trying to sell it through our rent-to-own program. Buyers, a buyer stepped up with a huge, like a like a very good size down payment, and he's put down every year. I think he's been in there three years. He's put down like anywhere from twenty to thirty thousand every year at the same time. So that that has got to be the best investment because. Each time he makes that, where we're paying down the loan more and more, I mean, we're almost at a point where we don't have a loan anymore, and we're we're very close. And we have a great buyer in there. He's really improved the property, and he's definitely going to cash us out. He's definitely going to. He's not even getting a loan. He's gonna. He's gonna just pay it off, which is really cool. Nice. You're going to make a great return on that uh, that investment. I like commercial. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? The worst investment was, um, oddly enough, around that same time frame. It was, um, all right, so my dad, my dad said that uh, he had uh, some contact this was right before, this was right before the market crashed too, like before 2008, I would say. He said he had someone that would be able to turn the money. It was, I don't know, it was some guy through a connection. He was doing like this, this fund and he was going to be able to like 30 times the investment or, or something crazy like that. So he asked me if I wanted to do it. And I, I said, yeah, of course. So. I did that uh, with a little bit at the time. I don't think it was as much as I put in the building. I did. I, I want to say. I want to say like I, I forget the exact amount, but but I I bought into it. I I said, yeah, that that sounds amazing. So I bought into it. Then come to find out a couple of years later that the guy the guy stole everyone's money oh, and um, got locked up for something and. So my thing that I learned from that was if it if it sounds too good to be true, make sure you before you like buy into something like that, make sure you know all the facts. Because yeah. I I didn't I didn't know that person. I had no idea, but that was a good lesson for me. Definitely I would say. Yeah, yeah. Gotta know what you're getting into. Yeah, favorite, exactly. <clears throat> excuse me. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? The most important lesson that I've learned is even if it's slow, e- even if it is slow and you feel like you're not, you're not making progress, as long as you're taking, as long as, long as you keep taking that next step and keep growing, like myself personally, like every day I want to, I want to learn some, like something new that that's my goal, even a little bit. I want to learn something. And I think you have to have at least that growth mindset to succeed. And I I think I can always point back to that. And it was actually unrelated, but now that I've connected it is just one step at a time. Because like when I, when I had to learn how to walk again, it was all right, one step at a time. And I remember, I, I actually remember how that felt like and standing up for the first time 
and doing the, that one step. But then when I'm imparting, when I'm, when I'm imparting that knowledge saying, just take that next step, just take one step at a time. I wasn't even originally when I started saying that, I wasn't even talking about that. I wasn't even thinking about my accident, but, but that's, that is accurate. A hundred percent. Just, just keep, keep going forward. Keep growing. Nice. I love it. Well, Nick, thank you for joining us today. It's an amazing uh, experience you went through and, and recovering and beating the doctors and nurses' expectations, getting everything back, and now to be in a position you're in and hustling through pre-foreclosures and everything you've done since then. If folks want to reach out, if they want to learn more about your, your business or what you do, all that great stuff, where can they find you? Yeah, so a couple things. They can go to check out our website. That's smartrealestatecoach.com. And if they do forward slash action, so smartrealestatecoach.com forward slash action, that's going to get them set up with a free strategy call uh, with either my dad, Chris, uh, my brother-in-law, Zach, or our strategy expert, Brian, if they are interested in learning uh, more about our trademarked three payday system, as well as how we are able to buy and sell on terms, they can go to smartrealestatecoach.com forward slash masters class. And that's what, that's what they can learn about that. Again, smartrealestatecoach.com forward slash masters class. Nice. Love it. Well, Nick, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.